Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University. And here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to the seventh recording in our fairly regular series of Meet the Education Researcher podcasts. My name is Neil Sowen and I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And the aim of these recordings is very simple. We're going to spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Umesh Sharma, one of the professors in the faculty. Good morning, Umesh. Good morning, Neil. Now, before we started, I set you a challenge to write your current research biography in 140 characters or less. And you described yourself as working in the field of teacher and inclusive education from both developed and developing countries. So can you talk me through first what that actually involves? Okay, when I talk about when we talk about teacher and inclusive education, it's quite a broad field. I work mainly children as well as people who work with children with disabilities in developed and developing countries. And I I work also working with people who are in the policy arena. So people like in ministries of education and people who make policies and people who implement policies, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So as you say, people that work with disabled students and people that make policy for disabled students. Yes. So you work in lots of different countries, lots of different contexts. Yes. Uh, Well, I've been working in the countries of the Pacific region, so Fiji, Solomon Island, Vanuatu, Samoa, also in the Asian region where China, India, Bangladesh, and yeah, so... So if you can say Asia-Pacific is the main area. And I also work in Australia with departments of education here in Victoria, New South Wales, and the Department of Education. So you're juggling so many different balls in the air. Now, I guess you try and put them together as Asia-Pacific, but presumably they're completely different contexts to work in. Definitely very different. So, well, interesting thing is uh, it's it's a changing landscape right now. Quite a few things happening internationally as well as nationally. So there's a big push towards bringing children with disabilities who never got any education in the past to bring them into the mainstream education system. But everyone is struggling, whether you talk about Australia or you talk about developing countries. But the struggle is different. Developing countries have other issues and the countries like Australia have significantly other different issues. For example, in Australia, we are talking about funding those children. How do you fund education? In other countries, they're talking about what policy should we have so that we can bring them into our education system. But they are somehow related because you start the changes from policies. And then you, as you start implementing policies, there are new challenges emerge. Mm. So it, in somehow, I think what we do here in Australia can guide us somehow what we do in developing countries. So we can't just export our ideas but what we can say is we can learn from each other in different contexts. So I guess often people talk about policy borrowing, but I guess from what you've said, it's a bit more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally believe that policy borrowing is not a good idea. And I have seen it in some countries where sometimes when we get policies from Australia and we send it to countries like Solomon Island and ask them to do it, it doesn't work. It, in fact, fails the system completely. Yeah, yeah. And I can give you one example. For example, in Australia, we have quite a few special schools where we educate children with disabilities and parents have a right to send their child to a special school. In countries like Solomon Island, there won't be any special school. So in, in some ways, it's good because they don't have to go through that route to include those children. But in countries like Australia special schools could sometimes be a barrier for us to move towards inclusion Mm. because there is an option for schools to say, send your child to this school 
And then the parents say, okay, if I send my this child to this particular school, it's a one-way entry, but they don't go back to the mainstream school system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so as a researcher, how have you developed the, the networks and the relationships with all that variety of countries that you've talked about? I mean, presumably that you've not just cherry-picked them from a map. These no, it, that... it's quite very organic. So, I mean, I come from India, so I had some good connections in India. And then my research students came from countries like Bangladesh. And then I think whenever I go to conferences, I don't meet just with researchers. I try to meet with policymakers. I, I want to talk to them. What are the big issues they are facing? And I can see the connections with some of the research that I am doing. And it's also very good for us to be thinking as researchers, not just for researcher community, but how our research can be, can benefit policymakers. Mm. And in fact, it's always that conversations that guide us or guide me to think about really important questions that we should be thinking about as researchers in our field. So I love the idea of you using your PhD students as a yeah. kind of network yeah. working on you. I mean, can you give some examples of where sort of a PhD student that you've supervised here in Monash has kind of led to other work in yeah i mean I, one good example is i had a, a f three or four students came from bangladesh and they, some of them were working in the ministry of education some of them were working at the university dhaka university and they've gone back to their countries and one thing we started with this idea where most of the time people from you know developing countries are they are consumers of research mm. they don't produce research so we say we have to change this culture so how do we do it in a more systematic way we set up an Asian Center for Inclusive Education at Dhaka University, where we bring in researchers from Bangladesh, China, and India together. So we run a conference each year. And we also started an Asian Journal of Inclusive Education, where the idea is people from those countries start doing research. And we got some really nice editorial board members like from everywhere in the world, like people like Roger Slee, who are the big players in our field. So those, are, those people are supporting and mentoring people from those countries to become high-quality researchers. Yeah, and so that's a lot of work on your part, but it's, as you say, it's bearing fruit in the future. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, we're under a lot of pressure, everyone, to be kind of engaging in international work. And I mean, what are the particular challenges, as someone who actually does international work, that perhaps some wouldn't be obvious to, to those of us that kind of research more locally? I think, in my view, one of the biggest challenges that we do not understand the issues in, in developing countries. We have our, our own lenses when we go from developed countries to do work in those countries and we sometimes we forget to take our glasses off when we start working and our lenses continue to be you know that we have done work in Australia this is how it should be done and we say when we go to Bangladesh this is how you should be doing that's a wrong approach mm. what we should do is we should go with a blank slate where you become a learner initially you have to understand the context really well. You need to listen. And, you know, one principle I find really very powerful is nothing about us without us. Where you engage with those people here, listen to what they are talking about, and then change your agenda. And I think be ready to prepare, be challenged with their ideas where they will say, well, this is how you should be doing it. So don't say that I don't think it should be done this way. Be prepared to listen to what they have to say. And then slowly negotiate and then say how best we can move forward. And nothing this. about us without us. Yes. Perfect. So, I mean, in terms of theory, what theories do you work with when you engage in your work? I mean, obviously, I can think of kind of post-colonial theory from my own point of view, but surely you're working with other... Yeah. Well, one, I think one theory, uh, Shulman from US talk about uh, heart, head and hands. Heart, head and hands, right. And uh, what I realized that it's a very powerful framework within the inclusive teacher education. And I tell you why. 
most universities around the world, they, they struggle when we prepare teachers for inclusion. Think about teaching a child with a challenging behavior. They say, we know now that what knowledge do teachers need? And we are doing a very good job across everywhere in the world. And I think slowly developing countries are also doing good job. But what we are struggling with is that teachers, what they learn in universities, fail to practice in real classrooms. And what I'm realizing, there are two things we need to do better. One, Number one, teachers first need to believe that including this child is good for me as a teacher, not good for the child. So that changing that belief system is important. That's where the heart comes in. Mm. The second thing is knowledge aspect. As I said, we know what kind of knowledge and I think universities are doing a very good job. The second aspect is when they go to schools, they need to practice what they have learned. That's where we fail at universities. We do not support our graduate teachers to practice what they have learned, but we also don't know how best we can support them because many times we are placing or you know, field placement is in a school where there are not really good practices of inclusion. Mm. So think about, you know, when you learn to drive on a road where there are lots of accidents, you don't come back to be a good driver. So that's that's the problem we are facing. So what I'm saying is, this is my research now, right now. How do you fix, like where teachers start believing in idea and inclusion is good, but the second part is, how do we make sure that teachers, when they go for their placement, they'll become much better teachers, inclusive teachers. So heart, head and hands, are in sync. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've talked there about the need for universities to become more involved in the actual practice and the yes. in-situ practices. And you've also talked earlier about when you go to conferences, engaging with policymakers and not just hanging out with the academics. I yes. guess there's a really interesting mix in the work that you're doing between the academic stuff and the more kind of practical, yes. useful stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. So, I mean, the other thing which is, which is probably worth talking about is what you're reading to kind of inform the work that you're doing. Who are you kind of drawing upon? Well, as uh, one person I really like is his name is Simon Sinek. He has written a book called Start With Why. Start With Why. Yeah, and this guy, very, very impressive. And he's got a TED talk as well on, uh, you know, why, how do some leaders inspire some actions? And I, I can clearly see there's a great value of us to think about how we can bring his ideas in teacher education. And, you know, one of the important things is, you know, say, he says start with why is very important. The people or the leaders who have done great jobs are those who started with why should we be doing something, not how should we be doing it. Mm, mm. And in my view, that's how we should be thinking about in teacher education. Why should I be teaching this particular child who always challenges when I'm teaching? And I think that's a very powerful idea. And what I'm trying to do is bring that within in the units that I teach and in our teacher education program. So, yeah, that's... I find it very, very interesting. So is it Sinek? Where is he coming from originally? He comes from US, Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. And is he coming from business or management? or is it It's leadership and management perspective. Very, very powerful framework. Um, so that's the reading side of things. What about the writing side of things? What are you doing at the moment? What are you writing? So the writing, I'm doing two kinds of writing where I'm making, like people say, heart, head and hands. Great idea, but how do you make it happen? So I'm writing chapters on this thing. I'm writing books, but I'm also... Editing Oxford Encyclopedia of Inclusive and Special Education. Ah, okay, right. You got roped into doing one of those. Well, well uh, the main reason I decided to do this, I think uh, when we read these books, they talk about where we are right now. They don't talk about where we want to be and how to get there. So one of the main themes I'm taking this in this Oxford uh, Encyclopedia is not where we are now, but where we want to be and how to get there. So, And we'll be writing around, there will be 100 articles or 100 chapters in this. And we are bringing in top researchers from the field to talk about 
three things like where they are right now, what were the challenges in the past, where we want to be and how to get there. So yeah, yeah. that's the kind of framework we are taking in all chapters where they'll be talking about within their own research areas. So it's thinking about future, not thinking about the past. So those books are really interesting because publishers are, are very keen to, to publish them. They're very keen to sell them for kind of $400 to libraries. And often you think, well, what's the point of doing that? But presuming from what you've just said, you're creating a network of at least 100 top people who are now part of your Yes, Your and world. one reason why I'm interested with Oxford University is because they have promised, number one, all the articles will be made freely available to readers. All so, oh, right, fantastic. And the second thing is they say in developing countries, we'll be providing the, the encyclopedia at a very reduced cost to libraries and researchers. So I think there is a, there is a good idea behind this. And the thing is, for all the authors, they will be supporting them through Honorarium and all the reviewers, they'll be supporting them. So they're paying look, reviewers. Yes. Wow. That's a very good approach, and I thought they are. Seems like it's it's a slightly different approach from most other yeah, publishers yeah. that I have known, and that's what I'm very keen to you know work with them. Excellent. And, well, that, I can see exactly why you do that. So, I mean, that stuff you're doing at the moment. What about in the kind of near future? What's what's bubbling up? What's your sort of on your agenda for the next three or four years? Well, uh, we have uh, applied for a grant to set up a Pacific Center of Excellence uh, to work across the Pacific countries, which is way beyond inclusive education, where we bring about Pacific are, you know, 14 island countries. And there are big issues. There are issues about education. There are about gender. There is violence. There is cross-border. There is climate change. So there will be what we are trying to do is set up a one-stop shop for anything to do with Pacific at Monash University, where we're bringing in all the researchers from the university. And so if we are successful, it's a $20 million grant. So if we are successful, we will set up this center. But we, are we have a very unique approach where we do not want to be a center of excellence where people are just based at Monash University. We want to build capacity of researchers in the Pacific. So we will have Pacific hubs in three universities in the Pacific. But we will also be working, making sure that the researcher in Monash University start following that principle, nothing about us without us, where we work with end users of research and we change our agendas and we, we build our own capacity to do good research across the Pacific. So there's a philosophy which is running through everything that you're doing. Yes. Really interesting, <laughs> you're kind of building this empire. That's a, it's a fascinating thing to think about, this idea of building capacity as well. It was exactly yes. what you were talking about in terms of the PhD students and then setting up the centre in Dakar universities. Yes. In terms of kind of dream projects, I mean, that is a big project. And if you get that, I guess that's going to kind of take up a lot of your time over the next five, ten years. But if I could give you a million dollars... What would you want to do as a kind of dream project? If you, if you gave me a million dollars, one thing I would spend that million dollars is to change teaching practices in the classroom. So, for example, you know, this is the area where we are struggling right now. So we are, you know, we say we give them knowledge. We are giving them heart and head at universities, but the hands is the most difficult part. So how do you bridge that gap? How do you bring theory into practice? So that's where I'll be spending. In fact, I'm working on an app right now. It's, I call it Teach Inc. app where what we are doing is where when we place our students in schools, we get feedback from three perspectives. What the teacher think about, the graduate teacher think about his practice, what do the mentors teacher think about their practice, and what do students in the classroom think about their practices. So we get a, get a snapshot of the teacher's practices from three different views, and it gives a really good idea to teachers at you know, university academics where they can see, okay, three things, we got three different voices coming here mm. about the practices of our graduate teachers, one thing, the graduate teachers think he's doing a great job. 
but the students and the mentor teacher does not think that. So what do we do as a university educators? So this is an area where I want to be spending a lot of my time in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I mean, so you're building capacity around the world, you're making apps. <laughs> Why are you doing education research? You could be a politician, a policymaker, a business person. What is it about education research and working in a university that gets you out of bed every morning? You know, I, it's a good thing you asked me that question. I think about it, this is like, you know, if somebody asks Sachin Tendulkar, why do you play cricket? Mm. And uh, I think Sachin Tendulkar will play cricket irrespective re of whether he gets paid or not. And I find the same where my research is, I love doing research. I'm here at eight o'clock every day. And some days I'm like, you know, they ask us to take annual leave. I don't care about annual leave. I just love my work. And when my article gets published, I feel like I got a century, as Sachin Tendulkar will say, I got a century. And when I when a policy reform takes place as a result of the work that we are doing, I feel really excited about that idea. Mm. Because in the end, it makes a difference in the life of a child who has been excluded, because that's my dream. Like, I want to change. And some of the work that I have done, where parents have come and spoken to me from in these countries, they said, some of the work you did made a difference in my child's life. Yeah, yeah. And that excites me a lot. So while doing this research project, working with policymakers, when things change at policy level, but ultimately it's the child's who, you know, get benefited from the work we do. So actually seeing tangible outcomes of yes. your work keeps you going. But yeah. it's very lucky that you're not motivated by money because an academic is a perfect career for people <laughs> that are not motivated by money. Uh, it's all fa fantastic work. I wish you the best of luck with the bid. Um, and yeah, really interesting. So thanks ever so much for taking part.